This is the Ideas Podcast, the show where instructional designers discuss ideas over a nice cup of tea. Warning, other beverages may be consumed. In this episode, I catch up with Dr. Robin Sargent and, among other things, discuss what we look for in really great portfolios. Hi, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ideas Podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode because with me is Dr. Robin Sargent, uh, instructional designer, e-learning developer, performance consultant, CEO of Idle Courses, and of course, founder of Idle Courses Academy. Um, Robin, thank you so much for making the time to uh, come on the show and uh, over to you for a, a brief introduction. Well, that was a pretty good introduction, and I am so happy to be here. I love supporting people in the, you know, idle industry or the instructional design and online learning world. So happy to happy to be here. Um, so I guess the only other thing that I would add is that, um, you know, I have been an instructional designer and e-learning developer for over 13 years, and yeah, just running idle courses in the various, you know, courses that um, also support our industry, and then also we serve clients. Awesome. Um, I, I, I think that's, that's probably the, the briefest response to a brief introduction I've ever had. I have to <laughs> put, put my tea down a little quicker than I intended to there. Um, so speaking of tea, on to the, what everyone knows is the most important question in, uh, in this podcast. What will you be drinking when we uh, chat today? I actually sounds a little, um, you know, snooty, but I'm actually drinking an espresso and it's, Ooh. I know it's so good. Right. And it's like, <laughs> so it's automated. It's almost like a Keurig that makes espresso for you. Oh. And it even comes with the little foaming, uh, device where you just, I pour my almond milk in there and it like just foams it for me. And I have homemade lattes. It's a beautiful thing. My husband bought it for me for our anniversary. So I'm on my second one. <laughs> I, I, I think I think that's fa- fairly normal for people with a coffee machine in the house, isn't it? I know when I uh, when I first kind of um, set up my business, came out on my own. Uh, my wife bought me a, a Sage coffee machine for the kitchen, um, which has seen far too much use on a daily basis since then. Um, Today, though, I'm, I'm not having coffee. I'm enjoying a lovely red label tea. Um, I say lovely red label tea. It was the cheapest tea I could find in the nearest supermarket. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's tea. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so uh, important stuff out of the way. Uh, I guess we can talk about, uh, you know, learning and instructional design, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I guess the, the obvious question um, to yourself is, you know, What's your journey looked like in becoming an instructional designer? Um, because now I've spoken before about to people and it's not exactly the career people that at six years old at school, when you're asked what you want to be instructional designer, it, you know, it's not on the list. Um, so what journey did you take to, uh, to discover it? Yeah. I mean, this, just like you said, it's, it's the same story for many of us. And, uh, for me as well, I started in a very different career field. Well, I wouldn't say it was a career field because, uh, my first degree was in Bible and theology and I got okay. a minor in philosophy and then I couldn't get a job because people just thought I was a Bible thumper. <laughs> and so I just went back to school. My teacher and my teacher's like, come hang out with us and get a master's degree in the same darn thing. And uh, we'll give you a scholarship. And since I was kind of aimless, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just go get another degree, another useless degree. 
So I got a Bible and theology master's degree again, and I had um, like a concentration in biblical languages. And so, of course, you know, when I was done, I had the same problem and I had to go wait tables and substitute teach. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I got that um, part-time library job at the university and I was standing at the copier one day and the dean of students came up and she goes, oh, uh, do you know anybody who'd like to be uh, an academic advisor? They have to have a master's degree. I was like, oh, me, I, oh, give me a real job, please. (laughs) Sign me up. And so it was when I started as the academic advisor that I got my first, you know, introduction of kind of creating courses and syllabi because it was kind of a hodgepodge job, you know, like you're taking care of students, but it was for adult students. And so they didn't even come into the campus till four o'clock. And so you're just trying to find things to keep you busy. I won't tell you how much Farmville I played back in that day. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so then I moved up to assistant dean of students and they wanted to move their university program online. And if you've ever worked with higher education, you're pretty familiar with how all the faculty are Luddites. And so um, I've always loved computers and tech, always. And so I, it just fell to me to design the online program, run the LMS, and then be the advisor for all the new students. And I was obsessed. I mean, I just loved every piece of it. And then I only made, I'm very transparent about my salary. Um, I only made like $30,000 a year as an assistant dean of students. And I was like, oh my gosh, like to be dean, like they'd have, she'd have to die or I'd have to go get a terminal degree. And I was like, what what if I just want to only do this course design thing? And I found out you can move to corporate be an instructional designer and double your salary. And that was it. I was on a mission to transfer my skills and land that first corporate job. It took me, it took me a lot of trial and error. It took me probably a full nine months before I landed my first corporate instructional design job at a company that was bought by IBM called Silver Pop. That was my first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's it, it, it's quite uh, it's quite interesting because we're it's very different from my experience because you sort of started off in the the higher education um, world, whereas I kind of jumped straight into corporate um, from the start of it from the point of being like a, a people manager. Um, but we're seeing more and more of that, or at least I, you know, my perception is we're seeing more and more of that of people moving from higher education into uh, corporate and freelance instructional design, especially. Um, do you think the salary is a big pull there or? I mean, it was for me. And whenever yeah. I recruit people in higher education to the academy, uh, salary is usually a pretty good pull because the thing is, it's like the culture is great, you know, and you can like sit around and sip tea, if you will, with your colleagues and discuss things and have deep conversations. And it's pretty laid back and you get your ni- a nice office. Um, and the, when I worked at the university, it was, you know, adult studies, like annex campus and the students never came to campus on Friday. So we were all off on Fridays, only worked four days a week and then all the vacations, but really it's salary. I mean, it had to be salary. And also the other thing, the other reason I wanted to move to corporate was because of the slowness of uh, 
of higher education and also they mm-hmm. don't have all the tech and the tools. And I wanted to go and play with, you know, at the time it was 2011, 2012. I wanted to go play with Articulate Storyline. I wanted to get video editing tools and all those kinds of things. And it, they just don't use that stuff in higher ed. And they was, you know, maybe next year we'll try PDFs, that kind of thing. It's yeah. uh... <laughs> everything I did, like just wowed everybody. And it would just, I added some like hot spots on PowerPoint. They were just, it's so behind. But sometimes that's difficult to walk away from, you know, big fish in a small pond and then jumping into this, you know, ocean of, uh, you know, what is corporate L&D. That's a, a big step for anyone to take, even if there is that sort of salary bump. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of steps as far as like transferring. And then there's a little mm. bit of culture shock, you know, when you land that first corporate job. I actually had kind of my manager talk behind my back and it came back to me uh, that like, well, I don't know, like, what's up with Robin? I don't know if she's just never worked in corporate before or what it is, but she just, her, her, she just doesn't like follow the rules. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's the point of being an instructional designer, isn't it? You get to the person that comes to a meeting and goes, ah, none of that matters. What we're going to do is and uh, paint this incredible vision of the future, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll just... It was it was a completely different role. I mean, I had my own office. I was a boss. I was assistant dean. And then to move into like an individual contributor role where you're sitting in a cube, like yeah. it was just I wasn't ready for that. But um, clearly, you uh, you persevered and learned from it yeah. and carried on. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I guess an interesting question for someone who's you know been in the industry for quite a while now. I guess in those thirteen years. What what are the biggest changes you've you've seen? Well, I mean, we could talk about the most recent change. <laughs> well, yep, yep, that's the, uh, the 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 mass spread of human malware across the planet has certainly <laughs> uh, certainly impacted everyone. I mean, I guess it's been a lot of different things that have changed. I mean, just the authoring tool. I think it was like basically only um, integrated with PowerPoint at the time when I started. And um, so all the um, the fast editing tools, the, the cloud tools that you have, I mean, that alone just kind of changes the landscape of what you can do. I remember mm. it would take me forever just to try to make an interesting video, right? And now it's, it's so fast. You got Camtasia and um, uh, like beyond is even, you know, pre animated animations and you can just Ooh. put them together pretty quickly and biteable and all those other kind of fun things. So that's the first thing I noticed. And then the other thing that I noticed that's kind of, I guess what you would say it's outside of corporate training, but it's the amount of digital course products that are available. And I'm actually a huge fan. <laughs> I buy courses all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, but I think, again, we we were sort of chatting very briefly before we started and we said about it's always concerning when people in the learning world don't get excited about learning. Um, you know, every time I see a, a course, even if it's just an exciting looking thumbnail, I kind of think, hmm, let's just add that to the queue. Who knows? I might see something in there that the topic might be great as well, but the actual course, seeing how different people are creating these courses is fascinating. When you look at platforms like um, LinkedIn Learning, for instance, um, that's got phenomenal value. Are they all, you know, what you might call gold standard instructional design? No, probably not. But 
it you know that the the vast amount of content that's out there is um incredible compared to even even five years ago really yeah i've even seen some really good what you might call just professional marketers make some mm. excellent courses absolutely i think there's um i think there's a growing understanding that in the instructional design world could learn a lot from marketing um they 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 know how to create a story. They know how to pull people in. They know how to get those core messages across, um, perhaps more so than uh, the learning world has for quite a while, I think, anyway. I completely agree. I mean, the thing that I've studied the most since I started my business um, has been marketing, 100%. And it's just, I think it's influenced so much of what I do and how I do it. And um, I mean, obviously, it's helped uh, the success of my business. Yeah. Not just the courses. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and speaking of your business, um, it, it, when I first came across kind of uh, the Idle Courses Academy, um, it struck me that it was very different to a lot of the um, learn to be an instructional designer courses that had been marketed across LinkedIn and Facebook previously that I'd come across. Um, and I was quite interested to see what what kind of spurred you to say, I, I want to launch this, this product, this academy? It really was, uh, I just noticed, well, there's a couple things, but the real driver was I had had people that had come to me, um, you know, pe teachers just randomly email me. Um, and this was before, like I was heavily active on LinkedIn sort of thing. And I had people that would just email me and be like, Hey, um, I see your instructional designer. I want to make the transition. And I just like worked with them. And um, and then I would just get these emails back like, oh, I did it. All your advice helped. And um, now I landed my first role. And then even when I was a director of my last full-time corporate position, um, I actually brought someone who was a valet, like drives the cars around and parks them. Yeah. Um, I brought him up from Florida and trained him to be an instructional designer because I knew that he had um, just talent. He was kind of, he was young, but he had talent just kind of in graphic design. He's And he's smart. And I called him up and I said, hey, I get to hire whoever I want um, as the director. Um, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm valeting down in Florida. And I was like, you're wasting your talent. And um, so then I I like, you know, brought him up to Atlanta and trained him. And now he makes over six figures as an instructional designer. That's... And that was it. I mean, after I saw that and then I started that Facebook group, Become an Idol. And I just saw that there was there was an, a real need for people to have, you know, a full program that's, you know, more like the trade school of instructional design. Absolutely. I mean, uh, listening to that, I think getting that first break is so difficult if because everyone wants experience right and I, I get that you know if, if you're bringing someone in you want them to be able to do the job that's fa that's fair enough um but i can remember when i was you know i always say i was a frustrated manager angry at the poor quality of training my people were getting so thought i'll go and do better and then rapidly realized that there was no kind of go-to how to become an instructional designer um I got very lucky and got given a role off the basis of some sort of things I, I, I'd done in the background in, whilst being a manager and then kind of just had to figure it out as you went along. Like I said, you could you could message people who did have experience, ask them for advice, maybe find yourself a mentor. But there was no clearly structured way of developing your skills and getting that first break. Um, 
And I think speaking to people who have, you know, who have gone through the academy or are looking at it, that that seems to be what, um, you know, what really draws people to it is that it's not just a here's how to be an instructional designer. It's here's here's the skills, but here's how to go and get that job. Yeah. Well, that was the main reason I even set it up. I didn't even necessarily set it up to do something where I teach them everything about instructional design. At first, I just thought, oh, people are already familiar. Let's just help them get those job application assets and get some experience and that kind of thing. And so um, I started very beta, um, Mm. but I just kept asking them, like, what do you want? What do you need to learn? And as the cohorts came in, I saw that there were people that were coming in that knew zero about instructional design. So I'd already had you know, the job application parts in place and the experience and whatever. Um, And so it just keeps growing because I do exactly what, you know, you're supposed to do, which is talk to your learners. (laughs) (laughs) How often do we all practice what we preach, I suppose, is the challenge there, isn't it? It's... um... And, and and speaking of that, I mean, you you've you've got quite an interesting view on on the industry from that perspective. So, I mean, how how do you think we do as an industry in terms of bringing people in? Bringing people in, um, just as new idols, kind of thing, or as if you know, if if people want to be instructional designers, you know, are, are we collectively doing enough or the right things to uh, to support each other? You know, what's funny is um, it was actually I remember when I first made the transition, um, just how, you know, I had to do a lot of Google University as Mm. far as how to, like, figure things out and do things. And um, it's so it's like a I don't know what the word is, except for um, it's just like a surreal almost that when I first started out in 2012, I was always like watching Christy Tucker's blog. And now I am like an instructor with her in the e-learning freelancer bootcamp. And, but I just say that in the sense that like she, her and um, maybe Kathy Bean were like Mm. the only ones that were kind of out there. Uh, But I think since I started the Academy last year, I've seen more and more and more people do very similar things about supporting. So I think the support for new um, instructional designers is better than it ever has been. Definitely. I think you only have to look across um, you know, social media, I think, is where I see it most prevalently. The number of the number of YouTube channels now giving out yeah. storyline tips or, you know, how to use Camtasia and easy steps. There are some fantastic things out there, um, which I suppose begs the question, as an internal instructional, I say I'm working in a business and there's someone, uh, this, this is a scenario I had, there was someone working in a call centre who wanted to become an instructional designer. I mean, what advice would you give those people? Oh my gosh, I've helped people make the switch from call center to instructional yeah. designer. Um, and so, I mean, it's always the same advice, right, Tom? It's like, you've got to build your portfolio. And to build your portfolio, you've got to start practicing building course assets and assets for your portfolio. And, um, and through that, you get feedback from experts, people that you want to be like or want to reach that level, that's where you get your feedback and you implement it. And that's just how you get your portfolio up to a certain level where higher managers will actually consider you. And um, that's the first step. I mean, it has to be your portfolio before you update your LinkedIn profile or do your resume or any of those other kinds of things, or even going, um, I mean, you can get experience 
in combo with doing your portfolio um, when you're trying to make that transition, but it always starts with the portfolio. And that's really interesting because I think back to when I got my first role and it was a few years ago, but not that long ago, really. And portfolio was not even something to discuss. It was just higher on resume and based on a couple of interviews. Um, and I, I can't think now any scenario in which I would bring someone into my business based purely on, on, on a resume. Mm-mm. Um, it's, it's quite an interesting shift. I think there's more of a focus now on what you can do rather than how long you've been doing it. Um, yeah. which I guess makes a lot of sense. I mean, our industry is, I mean, especially now, right? It's yeah. so it's online, it's visual and we want to see proof. And I'm this, I'm the same way, Tom, like even when I was um, a hiring, like I had to see, I did, a a couple of rounds of interviewing and reviewing and they didn't have a portfolio. I just threw it out. I didn't even look at their resume. It's, uh, it's an interesting tip there. Don't apply without that portfolio there. It's, uh, uh, well, don't but, apply to any of my jobs. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I, I, think, I, don't know, I think it does show a kind of passion because a lot of people I know are very concerned about um, if it's not real work, can I put it in a portfolio? Yeah. Um, and I've always said, well, make it real work. You know, I remember when when I when I did my first portfolio, there were courses on there about lighting and sound um, setups, um, which I did in college, and how to run an allotment because um, it's content that I knew. <laughs> so I created courses about it to show what could be done. Um, I know others are, are sort of going with the lorem ipsum, just filler text, um, which I, I I think can show the the technical development side of it. Um, but where, where do you stand on that? Would you rather see that filler text or would you rather see content or do you think they're pretty much the same? Oh no, I want to see content. I want to see a case study and I want to see that you can design a course and develop it. So, um, however you want to, you know, showcase that, you know, uh, the three by three method by ant where you just throw, show three slides. I'm saying, I'm thinking you need, you know, uh, something that's not huge, but at least like 10 slides or something. You can do mini lessons. You can do yeah. um, prototypes, but you've got to show that you have some kind of design thinking. Otherwise, are you just a developer? Well, that's it. I think that process so often gets overlooked when we're talking about, yes, in portfolios, but also in terms of skills, we focus a lot on the the technical, the software. Um, I quite often get that, you know, do, should I learn Storyline or should I learn Captivate or should I learn, you know, insert authoring tool here? Um, when in fact, the first, first question is, do you know how to design effective learning? Because um, if you don't, the software isn't going to help you. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to hear that, that content is definitely what you'd want to see. I, I think much the same. So I guess uh, quite, quite, an, quite an interesting thing would be there's quite a lot of people looking to move into instructional design at the moment. Um, do you think that's been a, an ongoing increase for quite a while now? Or do you think that's driven a lot by, you know, the, the global situation, we shall say? So I started that Become an Idol Facebook group last year, I think around like June 
of last year. And um, I didn't see any other become an instructional designer Facebook groups at the time. And so I can say absolutely just based on those numbers. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, the that people can see that they can make that transition. Like a lot of teachers, um, they don't even know that's a job, mm. you know, instructional design. And so um, the more that, you know, like you've already mentioned, like the content that's coming out, um, now they're starting to become aware of it. And so now they're like, oh, it's like a parallel universe has existed all this time um, where I actually, you know, have skill sets that I can transfer over into a corporate positioning get the heck out of Dodge. Um, a lot of teachers are very frustrated with, uh, especially the U.S. education system, um, you know, underpaid and overworked in there. And then, of course, you know, trying to do digital learning now, they're just, they're flocking. I have seen so many emails um, in between these current cohorts that I'm in um, that I think it's an absolute increase. Yeah, I, I think we've seen very similar thing. I mean, we've we've ended up because the number of people approaching us, launching a product where we go out and or go out at the moment. We uh, contact them via video, of course, um, but and sort of help support teachers trying to, as you say, um, bring digital learning into schools. But certainly, the uh, they're catching the bug and then running into the well, the school has no budget problem, um, which I guess is probably the same over in uh, over in the US. Oh, sure. I mean, they in the U.S. we make teachers buy their own school supplies. So, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, I I think teachers here do do buy the odd thing, but not not the majority of stuff. That's uh, I don't know. That, that, like that's any madness. kind of classroom decoration, if they want to do wow. anything kind of special for their lesson plans, if they want any wall art, you know, like the ABCs on the wall or whatever, um, our teachers have to buy that out of pocket. Wow. So any kind of effective learning materials that's not covered by the uh, the school's budget. That's <laughs> wow. Um, so as you said, you, you've got a, a lot of experience in the industry. You've seen a lot of people from um, you know, from teaching, from non instructional design basis at all, moving into the industry, succeeding. Um, I think the number of success stories and names that have come out of the um, the Idol Academy that are now, you know, either big names or rapidly growing names in the industry is uh, really, really fantastic to see. Um, so, I guess what what kind of um, final thoughts or you know key messages would you want to give to people either starting out on an instructional design journey or you know looking to take those next steps towards being successful yeah so um i think you know just to make a comment tom about you know why the academy has been like uniquely successful for these students right because yeah. the only reason you measure success is based on the results of your students and our students continuously uh, land jobs at Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies. And I think it's because they have a unique combination, right? They have a community of support and feedback. They have expert instructional designers also giving them feedback on all their assets and their portfolio and their job application assets. Um, they are also building, uh, you know, a portfolio 
and they're getting and they're updating their LinkedIn profile. They're being encouraged to be active on LinkedIn and also their resume. So it's a combination of the portfolio, getting the feedback and implementing it. Um, they also have the opportunity to get paid experience. And no. so I know. Well, the, I'm in the unique spot that I'm, you know, I run a business that Ooh. serves clients. And so I can bring um, them in to um, help me serve clients. Or I've actually been just getting clients that just pay um, for Academy members to do things for them. Kind of like a student hair salon, you know, like. <laughs> hey, why not? That's Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so I get those or they can, um, update the Academy, you know, be like, oh, hey, it'd be great if the Academy had a lesson on X. And I'd be like, yeah, it's a great idea. Why don't you build that and I'll pay you? Or, um, they can build me an out of the box type of course and I'll pay them for that too. So I've actually had people in the Academy make more money, like significantly more money than they paid to join the club, if you will, um, Wow, I wish and, that's how my degree had worked. That's uh, <laughs> doesn't feel that way. <laughs> I actually have one of my uh, favorite, uh, you know, talent members. She came from the academy, and um, she's been working with me for about like eight months. But she, be, after she came in, she had no instructional design experience and whatever, and she just wanted to start out the gate being a freelancer. Um, and she just had some natural talent with organization and some visual design, and um, it, the list goes on. And so um, she's been under me for a while, but she uh, just started getting so many clients lately that I actually have to go find a new one of her. Like, <laughs> oh, outrageous. All these people being successful and leaving you in the lurch. Dreadful. I know. I feel That's... like at this point, I'm just getting paid to make, <laughs> like, make disciples. I don't <laughs> but my, so my final thought is like, you know, of course you can join the academy, but Really, you could do it on your own, but you just got to get certain pieces in place. Um, and that is you got to get your portfolio and you got to find someone who is where you want to be in the industry to give you feedback. And um, that's always a tricky part because you're asking for a lot of time. You know, you're asking for people to give you time and to, um, you know, give you energy into supporting you. And, you know, whilst a lot of people in our industry are kind and giving, um, as far as like creating content, just the one-on-one -on -one time is just, it's a lot to ask of people without any kind of mm. reciprocity. Um, but, you know, maybe you could get lucky. Like I always encourage people um, if they want to go and do it themselves, like if they're already in a corporation, well, this is kind of tricky now since we're not in the office yeah. as much, but it used to be like, go walk over to the training department and make friends. I mean, that was my advice, you know last year what yeah. <laughs> now now call them on zoom or teams <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and which if they, i mean if they decline your call you know where you stand that's easy that's, uh... <laughs> oh man all the zoom calls i've that's just exhausting isn't it yes i think it's uh it, it's funny I, I i've always been quite introverted um and i think i've seen more of people in the last three months on video screens and I would have seen them had we been able to meet face to face. Um, but there seems to be a need to see human faces at the moment, doesn't there? <laughs> oh, for sure. Uh, for which, sure. you know, it, it is understandable. It's uh, unnerving for everyone. But um, yes, it'll, it'll, it'll be over at some point. Yeah. And so I would guess if, 
you know, not guess, but I would say if I was to give a final thought, the thing that I see the most um, with people that are trying to make that transition from, you know, call center job, teacher, whatever it is, um, sometimes even training coordinator, right? And they want to become mm-hmm. a full instructional designer. My, I see that they um, lack confidence in their abilities, or even when they start to learn things, they still lack confidence. And I um, have found that it's a lack of two things, and that is practice and feedback from an expert. If you continue to practice and get feedback from somebody who's where you want to be, your confidence will increase. So that's why um, no matter which path you take to become an idol, um, I encourage everyone to um, do those two things, which is to practice and to get feedback from an expert on your on your work because that will just it'll it shows up in your interviews it shows up in your portfolio it shows up in your linkedin posts and it shows up in your resume when you feel confident in your skills you write differently you speak differently um and you just show up differently and so that's that would be my piece of advice for you is that you can do it um but you'll just need to take those steps I think that's that's awesome advice. It's something that uh, even if you you are established, you sometimes need a reminder of exactly that thing. There's always someone that can offer you feedback. There's always an opportunity to grow, and uh, I think confidence is ever elusive. Um, I, I, I'll avoid the uh, uh, syndrome buzzword of the year, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I think everyone, you know, no matter how successful you are, can occasionally do with a. Do you know what? I do know what I'm doing and getting feedback from someone who's actually better at you, better than you at what you do is a great way of doing that. Um, Robin, I want to say thank you so much for making the time because I know you must be um, extremely busy, you know, with all your people leaving and making you find new people uh, to help you out. So, um, you know, thank you so much for the time, the insight um, and, uh, you know, everything you've brought into the industry. I think the the passion of the, you know, of you and the people that come out of Idol and uh, everything around it is exactly what we should, uh, exactly what we should have and what I wish I'd had when I was starting out. Oh, Tom, thank you so much for having me. I am just so grateful for um, people like you who are also contributing to our industry and our colleagues and our future colleagues. So thanks again for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Podcast. You can find contact information for myself and Robin in the description of this episode if you'd like to continue the conversation. Remember, this show is all about sharing ideas from across the industry, so if you'd like to get involved, please do get in touch. And remember, we have our Discord server. All discussion is welcome, sharing of work, sharing of ideas, and of course, getting involved in the show there.